met before. Um, if you're visiting us this morning or you've been uh, new in the last couple of weeks or so, my name is Richard. Um, I'm one of the leaders um, here. And um, I am not just a visiting preacher. Um, I've been part of this church family for over 22 years. Um, that's right. Um, Sometimes it's been challenging, sometimes it's been tough, sometimes I've wanted to leave, but I've stayed. Well, we might as well tell it how it is, mightn't we? <laughs> 22 years later, 16 years of those, um, I've been working here, turning up at this building pretty much every day for the last 16 years. Um, and for the last 11 years, have been the senior leader of the, the team of leaders um, here at the church, which I've started to realize means it's probably just about long enough to not really be able to blame others um, for things um, that aren't quite... I can't kind of say anymore, oh, well, it's the guy that was here before me or anything like that. Um, why, why, am I, why am I giving you my resume this morning? Um, not because I want to boast, not because um, I want to claim anything other than do something that Paul did in the Bible and use foolish human arguments to appeal to you today. I want to appeal to you today and I want to appeal to you as very much part of this community. Very much part invested in this church family and community. I want to speak to you today as a father to this um, community uh, and not just as a visiting preacher or as some kind of supervisor who goes off around the different sites of King's Church. Because if you're not aware, we are a multi-site church. We meet in various locations. And it's quite easy for us here in Manchester morning to lose sight of that sometimes, isn't it? Because we're quite big. And um, it's quite self-sufficient, really. And probably some of us might not notice if the other sites had closed down for the last six weeks and not met at all. Because as long as we had our Sunday morning meeting here at King's House, we'd be happy and all would be right um, in our worlds. I last spoke here um, three weeks ago, and I spoke about us being united in what God has called us into together. About the fact that God, when we got saved, didn't go running off um, to his kind of office shelves uh, and look through the stack of little covenants he's got there. Oh, I'll sign a covenant with Lynn because she's become a Christian. Um, isn't that wonderful? I purchased her with my blood. I saved her for a special, individual, unique relationship with me. So just sign here um, because covenant, remember, it's that binding agreement that God enters into with us. It has all the force of law. It's legally binding, as it were. But it's not some dry and dusty legal document. It's motivated by passionate heart felt love. He's the God of covenant love. But it's not as if he got his little covenant between him and Lynn. And then when Zeta got saved, off he went back to his shelf, another separate covenant for her to sign because we all like to have our own individual relationship with Jesus. But actually he's only got one covenant. He's got one covenant because though we are many not just here this morning, but right across the face of this planet, though we are many, we are one body because we all share in the same loaf. Not practically speaking, there's probably a few different loaves of bread being broken around the world this morning, 
But we all share in the same Jesus whose body was broken for us. And we come into covenant together and therefore we are a people united. And this is a corporate, not an individual thing. Christianity is first and foremost a corporate affair and not an individualistic one. And we make an individual response to Jesus who loves us as an individual. But from that moment, we become part of a family, of a worldwide community. And so we spoke about being one in heart and mind. Let's remind ourselves of some of the scriptures that we looked at together. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. When we live together in unity as God's people in this world, it's like the anointing that God pours out on those he calls and commissions. And of course, in the new covenant, that's every single one of us. But when we live together in unity, it's like the anointing of his spirit. When we live together in unity, it's like the blessing of God poured out from heaven that touches the earth and waters it. When we dwell together, that's how powerful it is. And of course we said, yes, this is true of the whole church throughout the world. But if it's going to be true on that kind of level, it must at least take effect right where we are. Because we can't just say, well, yes, in theory, if we're not living it out in practice. Acts chapter 4. All the believers, Acts 4.32, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. They had this sense that their destinies were interwoven. That there was a calling on their lives together as the community of God's people. So much so that they did not even hold back their resources from one another because they said, we're in this together. This is about us laying hold of what God has called us into together. Romans 15. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement Give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May he give us endurance and encouragement. So that with one mind and one voice, we can glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So we looked at this and we said, God is calling us together as his people. We said, therefore, that has to take effect for us wherever we are. And we recognize that some of you are visiting us here this morning and are part of other church communities in other parts of this city or indeed the world. And you're really welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And we trust that you'll bear with us this morning. If I look in, in particular detail at our own context here, and yet I trust that you'll be able to apply that and hear what God is saying to you in your own context too. And if you are part of another church community, we love you and we honor you. And we pray for your success. And we pray God's blessing upon you because we want to see God's church flourishing and prospering all over the world, witnessing to the amazing love and power of Jesus Christ to transform lives. We pray for the success of the entire church of Jesus. We called into one covenant as one church throughout the world, but we have to make that work. We have to make that mean something. We have to make that count for something, even in our own context here. And so we have to resist individualism, the spirit of our age, the individualistic culture that grabs hold of us and seeks to drag us into that place where all that really matters is, are things working in my world? Are things convenient for me? Are things the way I like them? Do I agree with the way that they do everything around here? Are things suitable for me? Is this the kind of place that's convenient for me? And before we stop to consider, Lord, where are you calling me? Where are you calling me to lay down my life and to serve? Where are you calling me to participate and to bring something and to add something, sometimes we find ourselves influenced by that spirit of the age around us that asks first and foremost, is this convenient for me? Does this give me what I'm looking for? Does this give me what I want? We talked about owning words that are spoken over us as a community. Because some of us, we love to go to the conferences where we know that those kind of people that bring individual words of God will be hanging around. We love that, don't we? When you know there are people around and they move in prophetic ministry and you think, oh, I might get a word. I might get a word over my life. I might find out today that I am actually the answer to life, the universe, and everything. I might find out today that actually it's all about me and there are 11 other stars that all bow down. And Oh, no, that's wrong dream. But we love hearing words about how God's going to use us, how God's going to stretch us, how God's going to grow us. And and we love hearing the exciting things that God's going to do in our lives. But how many of us are just as excited every time God speaks a word over us as a community? 
How many of us are genuinely just as excited, every bit as much excited when God says, King's Church, I'm going to do this with you, or even my church, I'm going to do this with you. How many of us are just as excited about that as we are about the individual word that names me as an individual? But isn't the word over the church community I'm part of just as much a word to my life as the word that addresses me as an individual? So we looked last time at some of those things that we said that we would pursue together Our values, we looked at being loved, at really prioritizing our identity as loved children of God, and we broke that down into understanding who God is to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the implications that that has for our lives. And we looked at that value of being lovers, that as we receive the love of God unconditionally into our lives, that that provokes Something in us where we become extravagant worshippers, where we become generous, where we seek to live holy lives because we're just so in love with him because he loved us first. And then we looked at loving others. And I want to help us to focus on the third of these, on loving others, in a bit more practical detail today. So if you... Do you have a Bible with you? 1 John chapter 3. That's 1 John, so not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, which is towards the end of your Bible, just before Jude and Revelation. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 to 3 say this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. God loves you so much as an individual because you're not just a number. You're not just a you know, faceless individual filling a seat this morning, but God chose you. He chose you by name. He knew everything about you before you ever existed He loves you, he cares for you, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he loves you so much that he made a way for you to be restored as a child of God. And therefore a legitimate heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ, an heir of the kingdom of God. That's your inheritance, God's rule and reign everywhere on the face of this planet. Perfect order. Perfect love, everything as it should be. No more mourning or crying or pain where the old order of things has passed away. That's your inheritance because you are legitimately an heir of God. A co-heir with Jesus Christ. Not some pesky little child that he puts up with. But you have all the rights of a mature son or daughter. An heir of God's kingdom. A child 
in whom he is well pleased. He loves you so much. And that is truly an amazing, it's an incredible privilege, isn't it? That we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. But it also comes with responsibility. Because now that we are God's children, it is God our Father who defines our identity. It's not down to us anymore because we are not our own anymore. We've been bought with a price. We don't just belong to ourselves anymore. We are no longer the masters of our own destiny because we gave that up. That's the gospel, remember. I won't be in charge of my own life anymore. I'll give that to you, Lord. I'll let you define who I am. I'll believe what you say about me more than what I feel about myself. I'll give you the reins to my life. I'll move over and let you take the steering wheel. Whatever analogy you want to use, you're in control. You're the master of my destiny. And everything is in your hands. We are his, just as he is ours. And we are all about his plan and purpose. So loving, loving others, loving the people around us, is not an optional extra. It's not like you can choose parts one and two. We liked the first two movies, loved, that was pretty amazing. We were just basking around in the love of God and it felt good. And lovers we could cope with because, yeah, you know, we just love to worship him back and, and it's just amazing, we love to encounter him. But actually, do you know what? I've grown tired now and loving others. Yeah, it's great that some people in the church do that. 1 John chapter 3, where we were before, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Ouch. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Anyone who does not love their brother and sister is not God's child. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so loving others starts with loving our brothers and sisters. It starts with loving your Christian brothers and sisters. It starts with loving the rest of the church community. And for those of us that count ourselves as part of this particular church community, that starts right here. It starts with actually caring about the people who turn up in this place each week. I'm talking about actually caring what's going on in their lives from one Sunday 
to the next? What needs do they have? What are they facing right now? They may be facing really practical needs. They may be facing really practical needs that you are ideally placed to do something about. They may be facing emotional needs, spiritual needs. There may be just discouragement that you could encourage them in. They may need to learn. They may need to grow. They may be a young Christian who needs someone to sit down with them and encourage them in the word of God and teach them more about how to follow Jesus. They may be someone who's been walking with God for a long time and what they really need is someone who's a young Christian to come up to them and say, would you teach me something of what you've experienced in life because I need to go further in my relationship with God. We're all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, but you know what? Hands up who hasn't got everything completely sorted and all together in their life. Anyone who's not got their hand up, you need to go and talk to them afterwards. They should be writing books. They should be doing podcasts. We've all got challenges. We all need people. God knows that we need people. That's why he put us in community together. Loving one another means caring about the rest of the church community. Why not go and buy a ticket to the summer party afterwards? Not because we need your five pounds. I mean, you can barely get fish and chips for five pounds, let alone get fish and chips and a Kaylee. A Kaylee. A dance where we all had so much fun last time. Who was here last time? Come on, there were more of you than that. Who was here last time? Has everyone gone? Has everyone left? We had a great time. Just spending time together. And for some people it was their thing. And they were just like professionals. And for other people it wasn't their thing. And they were prepared to look a bit silly. And for other people it was so much not their thing. That they still had a great time. But they just sat politely at the edge. That's true, That's true is it, Koffer? Okay. But the time you did dance, we did catch it on camera. Just saying, I want to be with the community. Or if it's not that, what about the church weekend away, the big church weekend, the bank holiday? It may not be your favorite destination in the world, Kevin Lee in mid Wales. It may not be like, you know, I could go to this or I could go to that and I could go away and I could have my own just kind of like spa treatment for the. But that's not the point. We're not trying to sell it to you on the basis of it's the best kind of like location ever in the world. It's saying we want to be together. We want to be a community of God's people together. And if it's not either of those opportunities, then looking for other opportunities, whether it's connect, whatever it is, say, I want to be with God's people. But I want to bring in another dimension as well, and, and Dave mentioned it this morning. We're a multi-site church. He's gone off now down to Longsite to bring the word of God there. How much do we actually care what's going on in Longsight today? I'm talking about really, honestly. Don't like shout out right now, okay? I'm not asking for hands. I'm not. But I'm just asking you to ask yourself: How much do you actually care? Do you know what's been going on since we planted Longsight in the autumn last year? 
Do you know how we're doing? How much have you been praying for it? If we're really honest, we're great at praying when something touches our lives, aren't we? If we're really honest, like when there's a crisis in our family, or when money's tight, when we're not certain about our future, when, when things touch us as individuals, we, we, on the whole, we tend to find the motivation to pray a little bit easier. But this is my appeal. Could it matter to us what's going on in Longsight? Because maybe it touches us. I mean, what's going on in the whole church, everywhere, in all the wonderful expressions of the church across this city and around the world, that has to do with us. But making it practical, we've said we believe this is how God has called us to organize ourselves as one church in different locations. So shouldn't it touch us? Who knows how Salford is going? Who knows what's going on? You may or may not have heard that it's moved from meeting in Glen House, near the Keys area of Salford, to Swinton. How are they doing? How are they getting on? Have you prayed for them lately? Do you care? Honestly, I'm not saying it to condemn anyone. I'm trying to challenge us. I'm trying to appeal to us. Do we care? Jesus also made it clear that loving others is not just about loving our brothers and sisters in the church. But he made it clear that loving others was about loving those that don't yet know him too. Just like he loved you when you didn't yet know him. Just like he loved me and died for me when I was still a sinner and still a long way off. He told the story of the Good Samaritan, didn't he? Simply to make the point that we are all each other's neighbor. Whoever you meet is your neighbor. Whoever you come across in life who needs a savior is your neighbor. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything, everything, everything that God wants comes down to this. Loving him and loving everyone around you. We are called to love this city. We're called to love this region. We're called to love the people of our nation. We're called to love the people of this world. We are called to love people. And we cannot claim to love God when we fail to love the people around us. So we've said that 
as well as loving the church community, loving our Christian brothers and sisters, that loving others is about proclaiming the gospel with signs and wonders following and transforming our society, whether it's as covert agents from within going about our lives engaged in society, or whether it's the things we do corporately together, the projects, the the initiatives that we launch, both of those are extremely valid. But either way, it's saying we want to make a difference in our world. We want people to know that there is a God who is real, who is powerful, who loves them. We want them to know that Jesus is a real person who really gave his life and who really rose again and defeated all the powers of sin and darkness. That Jesus really is coming back and that he wants to make a difference in their lives. We don't want to be just some religious fanatics kind of, you know, locked up in their building, carrying away once a week. But we want to be a people who make a difference, who along with our brothers and sisters in the church throughout this city, we say we are here. We're not going away. We have had our lives changed by the God who gives himself to us in Jesus Christ. He's taken away our sin and he's set us free to love him and to serve him. And we want to make a difference in your life because he loves you too. Oh, that we, like Paul, would be able to say that the love of Christ that we've received compels us to preach the gospel. To let people know. Because we can't just sit here and enjoy it for ourselves. But that love that makes such a difference in our life compels us drives us, forces us. We have an obligation. We can't keep quiet. We can't hold back. We have to make a difference. We can't live individualistic lives anymore because he set us free from that. His love has melted all of that away. We need to care. We need to care how effective we are being at proclaiming the gospel. Does it trouble me? Does it make me stop and think? Does it cause me to pray? Am I concerned how well we as a church community are doing at announcing the gospel to our city, our region, and our world? Do I actually care? Is it something that I'm concerned enough about To go to God in prayer? Is it something that I'm concerned enough about to be asking God for answers, to be engaging with others, to be encouraging others, to say, let's learn together, let's do what we can, let's read some books, let's let's you know go to some training, let's do whatever we can, but we care. We care. You may have heard about the Talking Jesus project. Um, Judith mentioned it when she spoke here a while ago. Um, It's a piece of research carried out by um, the Barna Group on behalf of the Church of England and Hope and the Evangelical Alliance. And they asked people all kinds of really interesting things. But one of the things they looked at was the things that have the greatest influence on people's decision to become a Christian. And here are the top five factors 
that positively influence people to give their lives to Jesus in our society, in our context. Firstly, growing up in a Christian family. Well, that's pretty amazing. There's not a lot we can do about that in terms of when we meet someone on the street. We can't suddenly make them have grown up in a Christian family. Um, It is, of course, a kind of wake-up call, a reminder to those of us who are parents about our responsibility to disciple our children. Because we cannot take for granted that they will grow up followers of Jesus. Because, believe me, the pressure on your children in school is colossal. The pressure on them to abandon their faith is huge. Because if they are going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, they're going to stand out far more than you ever did in your generation. Because things have changed and things have moved on. And it may well have been hard in your time, but it's even harder for them now. So we need to be demonstrating. You know, discipling our children is not about taking them to King's Kids on a Sunday. I'm really grateful for all the amazing work that our kids' workers do. They do a fantastic job. They do fun and exciting activities with our children. They teach them about Jesus. They teach them that they can be powerful in the Holy Spirit. They are not tomorrow's church. They are today's church. They can expect they have the same Holy Spirit. They don't have a junior Holy Spirit. They have the same Holy Spirit who's in me and in you. They can prophesy. They can move in sign, wonder, and miracle. We have amazing kids' workers, and I'm really grateful. We have amazing youth workers. Everything I just said about the kids' workers is It's true about the youth workers too. But I, as a parent, cannot abdicate my responsibility and say, oh, well, my kids go to youth, so job done. See, I need my kids to see me praying. Not as a show, but I need them to accidentally walk in on me. You can't fake that kind of thing. I need them to realize that it's true. I need them to hear me singing. I need them to hear me full of joy. I need them to experience and to witness a life lived passionately in love with Jesus. So parents, I want to encourage you, disciple your children. But we can't do anything about that for the people we meet around us. Do you know what the second thing was? I found this really, really interesting. The second highest factor that positively influenced people to give their lives to Jesus was attending a church service. Attending a church service. It kind of flies in the face of everything we kind of ever said about we've got to stop trying to get people to come to us and we've got to go out into the community. And all of that is true because actually most people who attended a church service probably attended a church service because they were invited, because someone brought them along. But people said this was an extremely high factor, an extremely high influence in their decision to become a follower of Jesus. This is a church service, by the way, other than a wedding or a funeral, but this is just coming to the regular gathering, celebration, meeting of the church. And this is just another reason why we are convinced that our multi-site strategy is the right strategy, God's strategy, for us. We're not trying to say this is what everyone should be doing. We're not trying to say in all places, all times, in every part of the world, or even for every church community here. We're just saying for us. We believe this is what God has told us to do. We were looking around for a bigger building. You know, I had great dreams of just a massive auditorium. I was looking around, I was saying to people, I won't consider anything less than 2,000 seats. And God spoke to us and redirected us 
said, this isn't the way that I want you to go. And there may be other people that he wants to have 2,000 seats. But for us, we really believe. He said, I want to spread you out around the communities of Greater Manchester. And if attending a church service is one of the most influential factors on people deciding to give their lives to Christ. You see, we're willing to travel when we're already in love with Jesus. We're willing to travel when we're already convinced that God wants us to be part of his church. And if we believe this is where God wants us to be, then we'll travel for it. But for the person who doesn't know Jesus, who you're saying, come and experience something of his goodness, something of his grace, come and see what this means in my life. It's so much easier to bring people into a community that is close to them, that feels connected with their world, connected with their lives. And we believe this is part of God's strategy for us. We want to do all that we can to empower one another in sharing the gospel. By the way, the, after reading the Bible, which was the third, a conversation with a Christian they knew well was the next highest factor in someone deciding to become a Christian. It was fourth on the list. Interestingly, came much higher up than a conversation with a Christian who they didn't know. So actually, just on statistics, God can move any how he wants to move, can't he? But if we're kind of praying, Lord, let my friend bump into a Christian on Market Street who will give them the gospel, on statistics, they are far more likely to give their lives to Christ as a result of a conversation with you than as a result of a conversation with someone they don't know. So we want to do all that we can to empower one another to share the gospel to make a difference wherever we are. But there's still something really significant about God's people meeting together, worshipping together, encountering God together, hearing his word together, and drawing other people into the midst of that. And say, come and experience, come and witness, come and see what's making such a difference in my life. So quite simply, we want you to care about our multi-site strategy. We don't want you to see it as a detail. We don't want you to kind of like see it as an inconvenience. But we want to be invested into this. We want you, as, as a leadership team, we believe that this is God's direction for us. So we want you to care whether new sites get planted or not. Because if you own that this is what God is saying to us, then surely it bothers you if it's been a long time since we did anything about it. Because if you've received that as the word of God over your life as part of this community, then if you don't see anything happening towards that, then surely that troubles you. Because it's like God has spoken to us. We want to, you to care whether all our sites a growing, vibrant, thriving communities. And not just be relieved that you're in a big one where there are lots of people to do all the work. We want you to care whether each one is seeing the fulfillment of God's promise to us that we would be a center of healing. 
We want you to care about how much healing is going on in each of our sites because you've owned a word over us as a church. We want you to care how long it's been since we last planted. We don't want to rush. We want to make sure that our existing communities are well-established, growing while on a secure footing. But we don't want to waste time either. We want to be up for the challenge, and we want to be up for some growing pains, because what we want more than anything else as God's people is to know that we are doing his will. So we believe that God has spoken to us and that we should be looking to plant again. We don't know what the exact timing is yet, but we believe that we should be, and we are as a leadership team, and we want to draw the whole church into this, to praying and to preparing and saying, God, we're up for this. We're up for your will for us. We believe we should be thinking through the implications In particular, we feel that God is leading us to consider starting our next two sites in North Manchester and in South Manchester, probably Southwest Manchester. We started receiving prophetic words, but we don't want to develop that and go along with that and have our own little kind of secret meetings, and we want to draw us all into that together as the community of God's people. So we don't have definite dates or definite plans. We're, We're telling you what we know, and we're saying, can we own this together? Can we be a community of God's people who care what God is saying to us, who are praying, who are believing? We want you to be praying. We want you to be listening, and we'd love for you to be excited. We'd love it if rather than thinking that this is them telling us what they're doing next, that we could actually own this together. That actually our response might be, this is our leaders, who we actually believe, for all their faults, God has blessed us with. And we believe that this is them telling us what they believe his direction is for us. When we... um, felt God stirring North Manchester and South West Manchester in particular. We'd gone away as a a core leadership team and we were away for the day and we prayed at the start of that day and we prayed, Lord, we just pray that there would be such a, a measure of your presence with us today that things that we would normally take ages to discuss and work through and discern and would just come quickly. There would just be a sense of this is your will for us. And one of the major things that we were kind of trying to talk about that day was just this whole thing of this, this multi-site strategy that God had given us and this desire to plant. And probably within just a few minutes, we were just like, agreed. It was just like, yes, this is what God is saying to us. We believe with all our hearts that this is what God is calling us to. But we want to own that. There's stuff to work out. There's stuff to get our head around. There's implications for this community of God's people. And because we're not just a bunch of individuals doing whatever seems best in our own eyes, we're going to throw ourselves into this with one heart and one mind. Could we pray together?
Father, I just want to ask that you would stir in our hearts by your spirit. And that you would cause those things, those words that are from you, to find a root in our hearts. That they would produce the change in our hearts and lives that you have sent them to produce. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and stretch us and grow us and help us to respond to the things that you're calling us into together as your community. I pray that you'd help us to give ourselves again. That, Lord God, that we would once again take up our cross and die to ourselves. That we would not be dragged by the spirit of this age into an individualistic lifestyle that focuses on me and my needs, but that you would help us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that we would be able to trust you that therefore all these things would be added to us. You would take care of our needs because we're focused on you. And Lord, I know that we're from different backgrounds and different settings, and different ones of us will be around for different periods of time, but I pray that for as long as we are part of this community, that you will help us to throw ourselves in and to give all of ourselves to being all that you've called us to be. Amen. Amen. God bless you. At the end of all of our meetings, um, we love to create the opportunity um, just to believe God for that word that he spoke over us, that we will be a center of healing. We believe that God heals today in our world, um, that his word is powerful and that he moves through his people to make a difference in the lives of others. So there's going to be a team of people here, if the prayer team could come out, whether it's for healing or for any other need that you're experiencing in your life right now. If you'd like to receive prayer, these guys um, are available. Don't forget that um, you can buy a ticket for the summer party, um, for the Kaylee and the fish and chips. Um, you can sign up for Big Church Weekend, and there are all, a whole host of other opportunities to get involved in who we are as a community. Visit the help desk if you've got any questions at all. God bless you.